All right. Um, just before I dive into the sermon this morning, uh, I have forgotten for the last two weeks to make mention of the love offering that I made mention of for Pastor Randy and his family three weeks ago. And so uh, forgive me for that. If those of you who would like to uh, participate in the love offering that we've taken up for Pastor Randy and his family as, as they have been in the country of Georgia, feel free to um, drop it in these drop boxes on your way out, and we'll make sure that we collect those quickly. And then next week, if you would like to participate by dropping it in the offertory basket as it goes around uh, as well, then you can do that too. And so forgive me for uh, failing to mention that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, last week, um, we, were, we tried to make as much progress in chapter 10 as we could, and we began to see a shift in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The first nine chapters of 2 Corinthians, if you've been with us for that long, are really uh, the Apostle Paul addressing a, um, a repentive majority. And so we have the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, there's, there's a mention of a letter that we don't have record of. There's a mention of another letter between 1 and 2 Corinthians that we don't have record of. And somewhere between the letter before 1 Corinthians and the letter after 1 Corinthians, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, has convinced this church that he planted in his ministry there that we see documented in the book of Acts um, to forsake the teaching of what we're going to see uh, uh, the, the super apostles is what the Apostle Paul kind of sarcastically calls them in our text this morning. But he's convinced the majority to repent, to stop tolerating things, uh, uh, false teachings, to stop tolerating uh, particular sins in the congregation and to, to make... Um, uh, to really return um, to the gospel that Paul laid down when he planted this local church body. Okay, and so the first nine chapters, we see him engaging with this repentive majority. The church at Corinth, for the majority, uh, uh, really began to turn away from um, what they had been led astray by, this false teaching, and they begin to seek and begin to savor Christ Jesus. But there's still this unrepentive, uh, kind of stubborn, if you will, minority. And, uh, and Paul, in chapters, starting in chapter 10 last week to chapter, uh, the end of the book, chapter 13, Paul spending the rest of this letter addressing this unrepentive uh, minority. And, and what we could say is, well, Paul may be wasting his time, right? He's, he's convinced the majority of the church at Corinth to repent. Let's conclude the letter uh, and, and that, that's all that needs to be said. You've convinced the majority, but, but Paul has a concern about two things that are worth noting that I didn't note last week. The first thing is that he cares that everybody in this local church that he, he planted, he cares that every one of them repent and savor Christ Jesus, and, and that's good, right? That's, that's this Christ-like quality, this, this leaving of the 99 for, for the one, right? So we see Paul's heart as he addresses in chapters 10 through 13, this unrepentive minority, we see his, his shepherding heart for uh, these people that are really going down uh, the path of destruction that leads to uh, spiritual death. And so, uh, so he's pursuing uh, this rebellious group of people in this church. And then secondly, uh, as I was studying to preach this morning, I think of uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians, specifically in chapter 5, he says this, uh, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. 
In other words, if even a minority refuse to obey the truth, it affects the whole church, right? Because the whole church, as, we, as 1 Corinthians chapter 12 teaches us, is a part of one body. And so, and that's one of the reasons Coastal, and we'll do some teaching on this uh, down the road, uh, but Coastal practices church discipline, uh, it is a biblical Matthew 18. It's, it's, it's something that, that the Lord has tasked his church to do to keep um, one another from being, dece- uh, being deceived by sin's deceitfulness and staying uh, in a humble posture pursuing uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul was concerned that this habitual rebellion, that, that, that to, for him to not address it would taint the entire church body. And, and because God doesn't tolerate sinful disunity. And so, like the Apostle Paul, we as, as a local church should be in this pursuant posture, and we should also be in this repentive posture so that we don't hinder the work of the gospel in this local church as we commit um, to be ambassadors for Christ. Now, before we get into the main part of the text, what I want to do is, is I want to, to set up what we're about to see by reading the first two verses with you. So, if you have your Bibles, chapter 11, I'm in the first two verses here in the ESV. The Apostle Paul, he says this. He says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I have a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So here's what Paul's getting ready to do in chapter 11. He's getting ready to do something that he hates. He's getting ready to do something that he loathes. He has to boast about some particulars of his ministry and some particulars of his testimony. And the reason why he's going to spend some time bragging is is he's going to do this in an effort to dismantle or discredit the ministry of these false teachers that are attempting to lead the church of Corinth astray. And so the hope is, is that the Apostle Paul, by holding up the, uh, his authentic ministry next to the counterfeit ministry of what we'll see him call the super, of, the super apostles, that the Apostle Paul could get this unrepentant minority to once again embrace Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? And so that's kind of the motive that Paul has here. His aim is to present this entire body of believers to Christ Jesus at this great wedding banquet. We're, we're betrothed to our husband, Jesus Christ. We're his bride. One day when God in Christ makes all things new, we're, we're anticipating, we see the wedding language festivities. We see that type of language used when we read about the day Christ comes and, 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 and takes the place over. And so the Apostle Paul is concerned about that day to present this church that God called him to plant and minister to as this pure bride in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's his aim. And so with that in mind, what I want to do is read the rest of our text, and then I'm going to ask uh, for the Lord's help um, to, to, to help us as we work through it. And so starting with verse 3, so the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit 
from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Verse 7, or did I commit a sin in humbling myself? He said, did I commit a sin by not being braggadocious, if you will, so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was, in, and when I was with you and was in need, I didn't burden anyone for the, for the brothers who came from Macedonia, right, this church that, that we saw a couple of chapters earlier when Pastor Randy preached was uh, a church that was being uh, afflicted with immense poverty, they supplied Paul's need. He says, they supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I'm doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claims of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if, ser if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Verse 16, I repeat, let no one think, of me, uh, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to their flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools being wise yourselves, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's this daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all the churches. That was tough. Who is weak? And am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever knows I'm not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretes was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Would you go to the Lord with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, this is your word, and again, we confess this morning that your word's unchanging because you're its author and you're unchanging. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would 
Help us be attentive to your word, that your Holy Spirit would help us to be humble, that, Lord, your word would wash over us and help us, Lord, to see Christ anew today. And so thank you for this day that you've set aside so that we can come and be refreshed, Lord, to have our minds renewed. And so help us as we make some observations together of this text so that we can apply your word and be doers of the word and be committed to advancing your gospel. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're taking notes, the first thing that I would have you notice uh, that the Apostle Paul spends time on is that tolerating false teaching leads to spiritual death. Tolerating false teaching leads to spiritual death. Verse 3, I'm afraid, going to verse 4, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you receive, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, and then he even says, you're already putting up with it. You're already tolerating it in the midst uh, uh, of your, your corporate gathering. Now, this is one of two places that Eve being deceived is brought up. The other, the Apostle Paul mentions in in 1 Timothy, and the Apostle Paul is making mention of her and the serpent to compare Corinth with the very first sin, right? The, The cunning serpent, that's the devil, made these promises of a type of prosperity. And we could, we could talk about all these different types of angles of, of what the first sin really is. But what seems to be going on here, and as we began to see this last week, is that these false teachers are sowing some seeds in the lives of some of the people at Corinth that appeal to their fleshly kind of carnal desires, and it helps them to despise the ways of Christ, right? Last week, we, be, we talked about gentleness, we talked about humility, and we talked about how the, the Corinthian, uh, the super apostles began to twist that and, and made the, the, the Corinthian church begin to accuse Paul of being weak in their presence and strong from a distance, right? That's the fruit of them despising the way of Jesus. And at this point, when Paul's writing uh, to this religious minority, it's, we're not sure if they have fully embraced the teachings of, this, uh, of the false teachers, but Paul, he's at least accusing them with tolerating it. They're at least tolerating it. They're putting up with it, as the Apostle Paul says, readily enough. And, and this is how things started with Eve, right? She, she didn't silence the serpent. Her cowardly husband didn't step in to intervene. They tolerated the serpent, right? They, they tolerated the serpent's lies, and, and Eve herself even began to distort God's word by saying that God said we don't even touch the fruit, right? When God really said you don't eat of the fruit, right? And, and so she already began to distort God's word just by tolerating the, the lies that the serpent was spewing, the minority at Corinth, they were impressed by the, the cunning of these false teachers. So, so they tolerated their teaching. It was interesting to them. It was, it was exhilarating to them. It sounded prosperous. It didn't outright reject Jesus, right? That would have been something they could have probably sniffed out a bit easier. It didn't outright reject Jesus, but it, it added some, for lack of a better word, uh, pizzazz to the gospel, it was like a, like a fancy gospel, right? 
And so, and, and some scholars believe that this teaching that the super apostles were teaching was Christianity um, mixed with some Judaism. And, and so it was, it was Jesus plus good works, right? Jesus plus good works. And they also believe that these false teachers took too much of what was promised in the new heavens and the new earth, and they applied it to today, right? And so, so they may have even been turning chapter and verse in, 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 what, in distorting some of the message that the apostles delivered and importing too much of, of the new heavens and the new earth today. And so these false teachers, they were impressive by worldly standards. They were well-spoken. They, uh, they were entertaining as they preached. Um, and some of the people at Corinth, they were beginning to buy into it. But the apostle Paul, he would, have, he would have none of it. And Paul uses similar language in Galatians, warning, people that, uh, warning about people that preach a different gospel. He says in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, and maybe that's where your mind went as I was reading our text for this morning. Paul says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be what? Accursed, right? Let him be under the curse of God. That's heavy, isn't it? That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you've received, let him be accursed. And so, so to be accursed... It's, it's this divine curse. It's this to be under the, may they be cursed by God. If someone comes modifying the gospel of Jesus Christ that was once for all delivered to the saints, let that person be cursed by God. That's serious language, isn't it? Imagine saying words like that. That's how, that's how jealous Paul was for, for the truth. That's how jealous Paul was for the gospel. That's how loving Paul was. Paul loved the souls of these people. These super apostles didn't care one bit about these people. And he loved them so much to use strong language to say, let the people that teach these things be cursed by God, be under the curse of God. So being led astray by false teaching it begins by tolerating false teaching, right? When we fall, we don't fall far, do we? And so being led astray by false teaching begins by, by putting up with false teaching. And now there, there are plenty of cults that twist and distort Christianity, and we have plenty of them here in the Hampton Road, just right in our backyard. But I've been, as a Christian pastor, more alarmed at the false teaching that seems to be off of our radars as Christians, and I'll give you uh, just a couple of ways that I see Christian churches tolerating it, just a, a couple of ways that we tolerate false teaching. Uh, the first way that, that I see it in local churches is, uh, is there's this compromise or downplay of the Word of God so that we can cooperate with others in the name of endeavors such as evangelism. Now we could all evangel we can all say evangelism evangelism is good, right? Right? We're 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 not anti-evangelism. But a couple of weeks ago I mentioned about Jesus didn't just save the lost, but he sought them in a certain way. And we have to make sure that we're seeking the lost the way Christ sought the lost. And so we can't compromise compromise the way Jesus sought after people in order to save people, right? It's kind of an ends justifies the means, right? And so we're willing to partner with organizations and other local churches sometimes that distort the gospel of Jesus Christ in the name of spreading the gospel. And so we got to be careful of that. 
We've got to be careful of that. The second way I see this in the local church is I see it in so-called Christian literature. And not everything that's labeled Christian is Christian, right? Not, not everything that a Christian person donates to the Christian library is a Christian book, right? And, um, and every time I say this, and I've been saying this at Coastal for many, many years, but every time I say this, I, I try to fact check myself to say, what are the best-selling Christian books of the month? Not even of the year. Let me just look at what, and so I looked, what is August 2019? What are the best-selling Christian books for August of 2019? And I'll just give you three of the, the top 10. I'll give you three of the top 10 best-selling so-called Christian books. Uh, the first, the number one is by a woman um, uh, who detaches happiness from Christ, says that all religions are equally valid, and that, and that a woman's best aim in life is her happiness. And she defines happiness apart from Christ Jesus, okay? On that saint, so that's number one. That's the number one Christian bestseller, okay? Another one was written by a woman who was discontent with the scriptures and started to journal new words of God and wrote a book, and it's a very famous book, and out of that book has become like a gazillion different spinoffs from that book. And then another book on that list is by, uh, written by a man who rejects the doctrine of the Trinity, a core doctrine of the local church, and these are best-selling books in the so-called Christian world, right? And if they're best-selling books, then that means a majority of so-called Christians are purchasing them and reading them and recommending them, right? And so in the church already, we could all day pick apart cults that, uh, that we see in our own backyard, but even as a local church, we have to be careful that we're not tolerating false teaching. We have to be careful with what we're putting in our minds. We have to develop discernment so that we can uh, discern truth from error. And, and here's a couple of ways that you can develop discernment. If you're saying, how, how do I develop that? How do I spot truth from error? These are just a couple of, of steps that you can take. First is this, read Scripture in community with spiritually mature believers. And so I'm assuming that most of you are here because you have a high view of the local church. That's why you take time out in your, uh, on your Sunday to be here with God's people. And so make it a commitment that extends even further, that read the Scripture, connect with some brothers and sisters here, and, and partner to read Scripture together. Um, sec a second way that you can um, do that is um, by spending time with spiritually mature brothers and sisters that you trust. Be, ask for a mentor. Ask for somebody who's been walking the spiritual journey longer than you and ask them to spend time mentoring you. Then as you, as you read a book or you listen to a book or you listen to sermons on Sunday or, or sermons online or you think about partnering with a local church or a mission, ask a few questions. And, and these are just a, this isn't exhaustive, this is just a place to start. These are, these are a few questions that you need to ask. Do they make much of Christ or do they make much of man? All right, to me that's a foundational question that we should be asking. Secondly, is there an emphasis on repentance and faith or is there gospel works-based? Right? That's, those are some other questions. Or are they emphasizing prosperity, health, wealth, right? godless happiness? Is what you're hearing grounded in the gospel or is it some legalistic distortion of it? And so we need to ask questions to make sure that we can develop our discernment and to make sure that we're not tolerating false teaching in our own lives and, um, and that it doesn't penetrate this entire local church body. So secondly, if you're taking notes, Consumerism and Christianity is incompatible. 
right? Consumerism and Christianity is incompatible. Verse 5, going to um, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says, Indeed, I consider I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles, right? This sarcasm we begin to see Paul utilize. Even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, and he it goes on to talk about Macedonia supplying, and he, and he says that he does all of this because he loves the church at Corinth. And so we, we have Paul finally give this sarcastic and fitting title to these false teachers. He calls them super apostles. Now, what, what happens, and what I want us to see, is there's this compare and contrast, and we'll continue to see it for the rest of this chapter with the Apostle Paul and these super apostles, okay? What we see first is Paul speaks plainly with knowledge about God's gospel. He speaks plainly with knowledge about God's gospel. These super apostles, they use the latest and greatest rhetoric, and they talk about spiritual matters and entertaining ways that appeal to sinful flesh. Paul preached the gospel for free, again, by using funds from a church that was experiencing tremendous poverty. And so that church supplied his financial needs while he preached to a church that didn't want to hear his message that had the means to support him but wouldn't, right? And so this impoverished church supplied the needs so that the Apostle Paul could preach the gospel to the church at Corinth. These super apostles charged for their events. You had to pay money to come and hear them speak. And, and because of this, the Corinthians began to think, well, if we have to pay for it, then it must be real if he's charging for it. The Apostle Paul's message is so weak, he's got to give it away from free, for free because nobody wants it. Right? That's what they began to believe. That's what they began to think. Then the last compare and contrast, again, Paul loves the church at Corinth. He reminds this body of believers that he loves them. He loves their souls. He loves them as eternal people created in the image of God. And these super apostles, they just see a paycheck. Right? All they see is a paycheck. Now, these super apostles were some of the first entertainment-driven churches. Right? Some of your minds may already be going there, Right? They attracted people because they appealed to their fleshly, carnal desires. And because they appealed to their carnal desires, they drew those large, large crowds and they demanded that they pay ticket prices for their so-called wise messages. And these messages, the super apostles taught again, they despised the ways of Jesus. They despised gentleness and meekness and humility. They despised a message of repentance of sin a willingness to speak of hell and, and its eternality. They despise suffering for the cause of the gospel, which we'll talk about in a moment briefly. And certainly, like I said, there's images of different ministries that come to our mind when I speak of entertainment-driven churches, right? But I'm not a shepherd at those other churches, right? And you're not a member there. So our mind shouldn't stay there. Our, our mind should be fixed right here, in our very pews. That's where our minds should be. We need to think about our own propensity toward developing this entertainment-driven mindset, right? And, and I'm day by day, I'm growing in my conviction, and you'll see it come out from time to time, to time but I'm, I'm growing in my conviction that our Lord's Day gathering, 
is this market day of the soul and is really the place that should be in stark contrast to everything that we're experiencing outside of the local church, right? And, and it's almost, uh, I, I think when I'm coming to worship the Lord on the Lord's day, I think of it as I'm detoxing, right? And, and our services should be ordered in that way. Right? And, and I think too often, I've seen, even in, in the conservative churches, the churches that we wouldn't even classify as entertainment-driven churches, our reverence for God and the preaching of the Word and prayer and the sacraments, they, the, the ordinances, they've, they've dropped. Right? They've dropped. There's no anticipation in one, day one through six or day two through six of, of the coming Lord's Day. Right? It's not connected to our everyday life. And and, and how can we spot in our own lives that we're allowing the, these, these, inner, these desires to be entertained to creep in? Right? How, can we, how can we begin to discern if, if, um, if something's off in our own heart? Because our, our, there should be reverence, like I said, in our worship. Right? Our singing should be careful and God-centered. Our prayer should be careful and God-centered. The preaching should be careful and God-centered. Our offerings and our service to the Lord should be done in this thoughtful, worshipful posture. And so, so how can we spot in our own lives if we're beginning to drift from those desires? Right? Because we're, we're come thou fount. We sang that a couple of weeks ago, I think. Right, Daniel? And, and one of the lines in there is just this confession of how we're prone to wander. Right? right? Even, even with the Holy Spirit living in our lives, Still, this side of eternity where, where sin is still mingled with our saint, saintliness, right? It, there's, there's these mixed passions at war within us, and we're prone to wonder. And so we need to, to do honest assessments of ourselves, honest audits of ourselves. And so a few questions. Why do you come here to worship on the Lord's Day? Right? Ask yourself that question and honestly answer it. Right now it can be like, well, because Joey pestered me to come. Uh, but why do you come to worship here on the Lord's Day? How much of a priority is corporate worship to you? How engaged are you in this local church? Are you content with just attending and leaving? How focused on Christ are you when you're here? What things make you upset? Right? What would cause you to leave this local church? Right? These, are, these are questions that I think if we... If, we're committed to answering them honestly, it can be, begin to reveal kind of where our hearts are. are. Are we wanting to be entertained in some way? Or are we humbling ourselves so that Christ may be exalted and so that we can count others more significant than ourselves? Three, false teaching should be addressed in two ways. False teaching should be addressed in two ways. First is by focusing on the truth, right? I kind of mentioned this earlier. Um, but the Apostle Paul in verse 12 talks about what he's doing, he's going to keep doing in order to undermine the, the claim of those who would like to claim uh, that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as the Apostle Paul, okay? And so I think of Philippians 8 here, we, when we're focusing on the truth, uh, but we can, where my mind goes is Philippians 4, 8. And Apostle Paul says, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Uh, when I preached here before Deer Park voted, I told you guys that Philippians 4.8 <clears throat> is screaming, think on Jesus. 
think on Jesus, right? From the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see this one grand redemptive narrative, and it's how God loves to save those who are lost. And he promises to send Christ in the Old Testament. He accomplishes what he promised. And for those who repent and believe, his Holy Spirit lives in us. And so there's there's this studying of what's true. Jesus is true. Jesus is honorable. Jesus is just. Jesus is pure. Jesus is lovely. Jesus is commendable. Jesus is excellent and worthy of praise. Secondly, we combat false teaching or address false teaching by calling it out directly. And that's what we see the Apostle Paul do in verses 13 to 15. He, he equates the ministry of these super apostles with the ministry of Satan. And even says that they are, his, they are Satan's servants. Again, there's, this is strong, strong language, isn't it? The Apostle Paul isn't messing around. He cares, again, he cares about the souls of these people. Uh, One theologian said this. He said, the pastor ought to have two voices, one for gathering the sheep and another for warding off and driving away wolves and thieves. The Scripture supplies him with the means of doing both. And I think that this could extend even beyond the pastorate and should be practiced by mature believers in Christ. And we do this with with the spirit of Christ, meekness and gentleness, but calling out false teachers for the sake of preserving God's gospel is a responsibility entrusted to us uh, by Jesus Christ. You see this approach all throughout the Old Testament. You see this approach all throughout the New Testament, and that's what the Apostle Paul was doing. And so, so the, these super apostles that he's calling out, they weren't the victims of the false teaching. They were the champions of the false teaching. Right? The people following them uh, could potentially be a mix of some victims and some people who, who just thought that they were like, this is the, the kind of stuff I want to engage with. But Paul's aim is to shock the consciences of those that are being led astray by the super apostles by exposing their deeds as wicked. And then finally, the apostle Paul, he, he, he brings back the ways of Christ again. And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Embrace suffering. The way of Jesus requires it. Now, suffering isn't good, and it's not something that that I'm commending like, oh, I can't wait to suffer, right? Or or to even think about that, right? Suffering is a result of the fall. And the fall was wicked, therefore suffering is wicked. But God uses that which is wicked to accomplish his good purposes. Does that make sense? And so your suffering isn't wasted, your suffering isn't wasted. So God's using it to conform you more into the image of Christ. And we see the Apostle Paul, I'm not going to read it for time's sake, but he, what does he do in verses 22 to 28? Paul could spend all this time boasting in his worldly accomplishments. He could spend all this time doing that, but he does something that these super apostles can't do. He boasts about his sufferings for Christ Jesus. That's huge, right? That's what he wants to spend time on. That's what he, he's, he's saying, just bear with me as I talk like a madman for a minute. I know that the super apostles have trained you to despise all of this, and you don't think that these are the things that a follower of Christ should have to go through, but bear with me. As a follower of Christ, let me tell you what I've went through, what I've gone through for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. Let me tell you what I've been through in order to share the gospel with you, Right? 
in order to plant a church in Corinth. And so the Apostle Paul gives this. Right? False teachers aren't willing to suffer for Christ. Not really. Right? The, the super apostles despised suffering. They loved power and authority way too much to embrace suffering. Paul, on the other hand, was willing not just to die for the cause of Christ, but to endure some of the worst sufferings imaginable. I mean, could you imagine when you're reading this? I know that we've read our Bible so much and become so familiar with it sometimes that we, we read it without any color to it, right? But if you just sit back and just think through what the Apostle Paul really went through so that churches could be planted, it's crazy, right? It's crazy, and the Apostle Paul was willing to suffer for Jesus. And it made me think, just in, in closing, maybe think of Hebrews 13, 13. Right, the, the, author, the author of Hebrews is, is he's comforting a church that's suffering much for the sake of the gospel. These are Jewish Christians in the book of Hebrews that have been kicked out of their synagogues. They're facing economic trouble. They're being persecuted, beaten. Some of them are being killed, and they're being tempted to abandon Christianity and go back to Judaism. And so this, this caring pastor, if you will, he writes them to comfort them, and this is what he says. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Let me translate that for you. Let us go outside the camp like a leper, like our Savior did. And let us bear the sufferings that he endured as our Savior. He says, suck it up. You can endure for the sake of the gospel because Christ suffered and endured. Right? That's the way that he comforts this congregation. And so some of you, I don't know all of you in this room, and I don't know the, the intimate details of, of your lives, but some of you guys are suffering for the sake of the gospel. Some of you guys are suffering because you have a broken body and it's wearing down. And I just want you to be reminded this morning that your, your suffering's not wasted, right? Christ, God has a purpose for you, He's conforming you into the image of Jesus as you suffer. And, and this was the message that the church at Corinth, some of them began to despise. And so Paul reminds them of the ways of Jesus. He tells them not to be entertained by false teaching, not to entertain false teaching. He reminded them that consumerism and Christianity are incompatible. He addressed false teaching that led them away from Jesus and his gospel, and he told them the most absurd thing of all. He told them to embrace suffering because the way of Jesus Christ requires it. Would you go with me to the Lord in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. God, we thank you that, Lord, we can look to it for everything pertaining to life and godliness, God. And your Holy Spirit speaks to us through your word, comforts us, encourages us to persevere. And God, I pray that you would keep in us a passion your gospel, that you would keep us from wandering, Lord, for the glory of your name. And we thank you for this time that we've had together. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, guys, we're going to sing one more song in closing, and I just want you to know if you have a prayer need or want to um, be prayed with, prayed for, we have a couple of people sitting right here on my right, some of your left. Uh, they would love to spend some time praying with you, talking to you, um, and so... Um, so just let us know, and the time to do that would be at any time from now until 
after the service. And so with that said, let's stand and let's respond in singing.